What's good, everyone? This is Cheats, and welcome to the table. We are here at the Sacred Heart Center. We're very excited to be here, and I'm joined for this episode with Cynthia, Hi. Father Shay, Velma, Roberto, Alex, Father Jack, Gustavo, and Rocio. And so, as you know from Table Episode 1, our whole goal here is to learn. We want to learn what's happening in the community. The Sacred Heart Center serves a very diverse community, but one of the one of the populations that they do serve is the Richmond's Latino population. It's a very diverse Richmond Latino population. And it's a population that may not necessarily get their voice heard in the ways that we would like, and this group here is working to change that. So the first thing I'd like to ask, and I'll just throw it out there, Velma is a friend of mine, so I'll pick on her first, but what is it? when it comes to the culture. When you talk about culture of Richmond's Latino population, I understand it's a diverse, uh, diverse group, but what is it that we should be understanding about the Latino community here in Richmond? Well, the number one um, issue would be that one size does not fit, fit all. And just because we come from, I'm Puerto Rican, and I certainly don't speak for all Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. and that's an issue for some people. Um, the other one, as a longtime community advocate, this all Latino populations are typically the attention, are typically set on the South Side. Um, and that's where Sacred Heart is an amazing hub. My concern now that we have developed this, it's time to grow and I'm actually, um, because of the, one of the biggest issues right now, as you know, is mental health for our yeah. kids. Um, but I won't get into that right now. We, we can get Unless into it a little bit. I would, I'm, you said something I wanted, I'm very interested in, and maybe Father Jack or Father Shay can add in, in regards to the changing of population in regards to whether it's growth and just in general, the diversity that you're serving. Uh, tell us a little bit about over the years what you've seen in Richmond in the either the growing or changing Latino population of Richmond. Well, I've only been here for three years, mm -hmm. so uh, the, I think somebody who's been here longer would would have a sense. Uh, from what I understand, is that it, it typically uh, you had the, the first wave were were Cubans and Puerto Ricans, uh, and then uh, you had the Mexicans coming in. Uh, Central Americans, especially first from El Salvador, uh, then more recently from Guatemala, Honduras. So that there's there's been a growth like that. The the one figure that I think is very important to understand from the very beginning is that the, of the Latinos who are living here in the state of Virginia right now, that the median age is in the is like 32. But when you look at the age of those who were born in the United States. Uh, it's 15. So that's the median age of the, the group coming up now. Mm -hmm. So that means they are going to be a voting age very soon. Mm -hmm. And they are, you know, no big walls that could be built by any government uh, on border mm -hmm. uh, will be able to keep out these kids because they are here and they're citizens. So that, that's a big thing. So not thinking of, of the uh, Latinos as just immigrants coming in, but um, they're here to stay. And this population faces some um, 
in regards to obviously how Sacred Heart Center itself, but the entire Latino population in Richmond and, and, and like I said, beyond faces some some unique challenges that I I I could be wrong and I'm naive and I'm also still like I said trying to learn, but in regards to unique challenges about the community that um, people may not understand. Um, Cynthia, you, you just mentioned uh, just, a, just a general adjustment period coming from California. I think you mentioned it as well, Rocio. It's a, a general adjustment period coming from a place where maybe it has a, even a wider Latino population to a place like Richmond. What are some of the unique challenges that you find the community facing that uh, may not necessarily be displayed often? I'll let Cynthia go first. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, we're not invading. That's the first thing. Um, we're actually here to help, and a lot of people don't see it like that. Mm. They see it like you're here. Why are you here? What are you doing here? And I'm talking about other race and other. Even in our own community, there's some that are kind of like, "Who are you? Why are you here?" Um, I think that's one of the big, <laughs> I guess one that we're here to work, to mm. be better of, of ourselves and our children. But um, for me, coming here was <laughs> a big change. Right, you mentioned a big, just adjustment yes. in general. Yes, and um, it, it was depressing, mm. but um, starting to open new doors and coming to the Secret Heart Center opened those doors and it helped me see more. <laughs> There's more out there in Richmond that just, you know, the trees and <laughs> the <Yeah>. river. <laughs> um, but I think that's one of them, especially when it comes to education in our kids' schools because um, supposedly what I know the school that my daughter's attending was only an African American school, mm. but now it's one of the largest schools of Latinos attending that school. But yet there's still people that do not speak, teachers do not speak, or office attendants do not speak Spanish, and it's very hard to communicate, and even if they think you don't know Spanish, you can still understand you, they're talking and they're mistreating you just because they think you don't understand the language. Mm. And that's another issue when it comes to me and that school, because I was like, no, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> and it's a big surprise, They're like, oh, okay, well, we usually have people don't understand. And I was like, well, that's being very rude, yeah. <laughs> either or. And um, that's another issue in the schools for our kids or Busha, another school that they're having a lot of um, fights between each other. And it's... It's just amongst the students. Among the students. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it. That's, well, and we'll get to education, because that's uh, obviously a very big uh, big issue, uh, not just uh, just for every community in Richmond has got to deal with education. I'm going to ask Father Shea in regards to working in the community and some of the things that mm -hmm. you've seen uh, since you've been here. What are some of the things that, um, I don't want to say are, what are some of the things about Richmond's diverse Latino population or culture that, um, that, should, be, that, that should be known that may be, may be still having a challenge for 
families to adjust to. You know what's interesting, and I think building on what uh, people have said, first is that there is a Latino community mm -hmm. in Richmond. I mean, a lot of people just don't know that, mm -hmm. and they kind of, they're just, there really is a Latino community in Richmond. It's, it's here, it's diverse, it's in sizable numbers. Um, I think, you know, I think one of the things that is, um, well, first of all, you mentioned the families. And what I've seen over the years is that people just want, like any other group, to have the American dream is theirs. They want to have a better life for themselves and their children than they uh, had, and they're willing to sacrifice all kinds of things uh, to do that. One of the interesting things, and I think this is kind of unknown, you know, the uh, it's it's a very the immigration status. Everybody thinks a lot of people think that they're everybody's undocumented. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of and then a lot I think, of people. I also, think that may be the first biggest misconception, right? right? Yes. That is a perception that. Every Latino you see in Richmond is undocumented, right? So, no, so they, they think they're undocumented. And then um, they, uh, the, well, the other, so they think they're undocumented. And typically, it's most families are of mixed uh, immigration status. Mm -hmm. I mean, a typical family. Uh, and there are lots of them that fit into this category. Grandma and Grandpa are U.S. citizens. Grandpa came here in the 50s and 60s, worked, and became nat naturalized, got his citizenship. His kids were born in Mexico. Some of them are U.S. citizens. Some of them are Mexican citizens. Mm -hmm. They all live in Richmond. They all live in the same house. Their children, the older ones were born in Mexico or not, and are out of status. The younger ones are born here and are all U.S. citizens. Some are in process of becoming U.S. citizens, and some are completely out of status. So you've got this really complex picture of what immigration status people have, and the, at the, the typical status within a family is that um, is that it's mixed and it's really mixed from citizens to undocumented and everything in between hmm. that's, a good, that's a good point and I think it I think it hits on a, on one of the biggest things we'd already talked about was just the perception of the community um, and I, I don't think it's uh, speaking out of school to say that some of the uh, uh, rhetoric in, leading up into this uh, crazy election season hasn't been altogether helpful in regards to the way that um, people would look at any community, to be honest, any community of color, uh, and not just the Latino community, but any community of color, when you look at some of the rhetoric that comes um, leading up to November, has been, has been scary and dangerous. Let me ask um, uh, Roberto and Gustavo and Alex, who ha haven't been able to change, what are some of the things that you see in regards to working in the community, whether it's a um, challenge that we should be aware of or just an un a general understanding of um, Richmond's Latino population that, that may not necessarily be out there? Um, one of 
One thing that I noticed, I, I've been here for four years, mm. uh, <laughs> but what I noticed is that the city doesn't really pay attention to the Latino community. Mm. So they are ignoring the Latino community. We are 6%, almost 7% here in the city of Richmond only, without counting the, uh, the counties around the city. But they don't, for, for the people that are in, in the government, in the city, we are not 6%. You could be one. Yeah. Because there is not, they have an office that has some people that are Latinos, there's a multicultural edu education, but I think they just have it to have a check mark and say like, look, we have three people here that are Latinos and we have them. But they are not anywhere else in the whole city. If you go and you see the services that they bring, <coughs> it's not just put things in Spanish. Uh, it's, it's, you're, you're going to, uh, you're going to bring services to uh, the Latinos, so the services are different, mm -hmm. but they don't care about that. Mm. And, you, and the, the perfect example of what you see it more is at the schools. Latinos are the, the second uh, majority of the schools. The first ones are African-Americans. Mm. And the schools and are... And it's rich in public schools. Yes, and they are segregated. Mm -hmm. the schools are really segregated. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there are no services. I mean, there are... Granted, some, some Latinos speak English, other ones not, but the school should have to provide the services for those parents that they don't speak the language. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're waiting until somebody goes and sue them to bring the services here, or what? Mm -hmm. Because teachers are not prepared, mm -hmm. the personnel at the schools are not ready to serve, there is no that willing to say, okay, I'm going to give you the services. We recognize this is uh, the population. In the schools, the population of the schools for Latinos is 12%, uh, um, almost 13%. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the schools, there are schools that there are not 5 or 6% of Latinos, and there are other ones that are 90. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what is this? Mm -hmm. Are we again segregating and having schools for whites, schools for African-Americans, schools for Latinos? So jump in, Velma. I'm going to be. Um, a devil's advocate, yeah, sure. just because I'm I'm a human being who happens to be Latino, yeah. so I understand because I was born here, and Lord knows I'm a huge Latino advocate. But I have come to realize that well, one thing, language services or the budget, those are unfunded mandates that the federal government has out there. So the schools, and it's very broad, the same with Title I. Mm -hmm. The schools are doing what the law tells them to do, which is provide information. And by giving, um, sending home, like all with all kids, information that maybe someone translated from Google, mm -hmm. they've done their due diligence. Mm. So, they are, they do, I'd say, 95% things that are not right for the Latino community. Yeah. I will agree with that. But I also will have to say that it wasn't that long ago, I encouraged everybody that I know, all the Latinos, to watch the movie Selma. Mm -hmm. Because this issue of it's against Latinos, it's against us, they want to segregate. Well, this, this fight in this country has been for a long, long time, yes. and especially in this city. When I moved here 
And I would say, I tell anybody that I meet just coming, <clears throat> Richmond just got over the Civil War 10 years ago. <laughs> some, people, some people will say they're not uh, over it. They're still fighting that one. But I was being generous. But my point is that it's not against, it feels that way and it appears that way. But a lot of these <clears throat> teachers, all of these teachers, were giving this, when we had the influx, when it's like, oh, Latinos are here, Spanish speakers, oh. They not only had been fighting for things for their school, for professional development, and they weren't getting it. And now all of a sudden, this a new, group, yeah. new group coming in, and oh, by the way, they don't speak English, but you're expected to teach them. By the way, we don't, the, the families don't want to come to Peter, um, teachers. Parent um, teacher, parent teacher. And we, we know that that's not true. But it's one more thing added to that layer. So I taken the stand a few years ago, and actually Roberto and I are in the process where we want to start um, just doing this inclusion. Yes, the schools are not what we would like. They're failing our kids, and I will, in full disclosure, what Mark was talking about, when I went to his office to meet with him and Doug, I was so humiliated, I humiliated myself, I spent most of the time crying. <laughs> it was not humiliating, And it was all fine. I did was keep, because of the frustration and the pain yeah. that I see that our kids, the, the result of what's going on in schools. But you know what? If we know what the issues are, we can't keep waiting around for the city. We can't keep waiting around for Sacred Heart. We can't wait for whoever to come in and be Superman and, and rescue our kids. Can I, can I ask a question in regards to, uh, actually, you go ahead. I wanted to say something along the lines of what Gustavo was saying, because I, I see it every day. I mean, we're, I get, I just yesterday, um, and I agree with you, Vilma, and I've spoken to parents about, look, the schools are overcrowded, uh, they're understaffed, but at the same time, we are seeing more and more really egregious situations that the schools are not only uh, not addressing, but exacerbating. I've had um, several students, and Father Jack, you, you were here uh, for, some of, for some of those instances. Right now, without mentioning the school, I have a little 12-year-old girl who had been harassed four months in a middle school in the West End, the parents, even though they don't speak English, were fully engaged, went to the school, went to the assistant principal, went to the school resource officer to tell them, these kids are threatening my daughter. They're following her home. They're you know, doing this, this, and that, and the other. They, they went at least five times. It was posted on the internet that she was going to be assaulted. It was posted the time and date when she was going to be assaulted. The poor little girl finally one day decided to skip school because that was the day that it had been posted all over social media. Parents went to school. They were told that the problem would be handled. Three additional times they went, the girl ended up being assaulted by three girls and one boy while the other one videoed it mm. and posted it on Instagram. The school did nothing. We have sent letters. We have asked for, the principal refuses to see mother or, or father. They have been dealing primarily with the school resource officer. 
we have uh, again uh, given them the opportunity and this is not an isolated incident this is one of many that we've seen we have mm -hmm. offered to mediate between the school and the parents this, the parents were very reasonable but we're at the point where we are seeing this on a weekly basis so as a community partner and you were here when we did the Latino roundtable we are offering ourselves as mediators as those liaisons to say to the parents okay we understand you're upset and this is terrible. I mean, this poor, poor little girl was just threatened again yesterday. We refer them to the police department so that they can, uh, you know, add that additional, because this is, this is an ongoing criminal case, okay? Mm -hmm. But this school has not bothered to return a phone call to the family nor the, the foreign embassy that's working with this family trying to advocate for them and help them. And these students continue to be in school and they that the little girl was assaulted and she returned four weeks later after being injured by these children who probably need some help, obviously, was placed in in-school detention to keep her safe. Mm. So, and this is not an isolated incident. So, I just want to be clear. Yeah. There's no way I was condoning the schools. Right. I was talking about, we know that this the is system. going on. Right. No, 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 not the system. We know then it's just, instead of just you, that's where we who have a voice need to be out there speaking on behalf. And, full disclosure, that's what I went to see Mark about and why I was crying, because of mental health. Right, mm -hmm. uh, right now, I'm working um, on with VCU School of Psychology. Um, we have a behavioral health clinic at Hazy Willis, which is down the street from um, Southwood. Mm -hmm. They have 80% of their um, patient base, Latinos. So in this, Hazy, in this um, mental health clinic, I'm developing a position for family navigator, and I shared with them, without disclosing names, there's not a day that goes by in that clinic that the um, primary care providers are referring kids, mm -hmm. parents, to our clinic because not only assaulted, in, in elementary school, a first grader was sexually assaulted. There's, um, and for me, the biggest heartbreak, and by the way, I took a pill before I came tonight. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great, Thelma. You're doing great. Um, because the biggest thing that breaks my heart is a lot of these assaults are Latinos who were born, the kids who were born here and the newly arrived mm -hmm. that are attacking them. It's not others, it's our own kids attacking our kids. Can I ask the group about that? Because you, you also mentioned Selma, and one of the things that I think happens and that happened when you're looking at uh, civil rights movements or things like that happened in the 50s and 60s, mm -hmm. um, that honestly, just to be frank, I, I am concerned that wouldn't happen today amongst an African-American community is uh, the unity that was needed, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, uh, the civil rights movement is well-documented as, as almost a faith-based movement. Most, mm -hmm. most of the rallying cries happened around churches, um, and that's how they knew in Montgomery not to ride the bus. I don't know if that works. I, actually, I don't think that necessarily works in 2016 amongst an African-American community because, unfortunately, for whatever reason, the church isn't the, the rallying center in regards to getting everybody to be aware of, we're not riding the bus on Monday. Um, 
you just mentioned, and, and again, like, it's a learning experience for me, but you just mentioned the complexity in family. Father Shea mentioned it, the complexity that one size doesn't fit all when you're talking about mm-hmm. Richmond's Latino population. So is there, um, is, is there the opportunity there in regards to um, having, because I think what Gustavo is mentioning is you're going to need unity to actually instill leverage. So is there a challenge in the in the Latino population in regards to unity there, or is it just... So with, with the migrant population, in this case Latinos, you will have the ones that are born here, and there are Latinos, and they're either from Mexico, El Salvador, or any country in South America, and they will identify themselves sometimes as Americans or sometimes as a Mexicans or Salvadoreans or Mexican-Americans, and you will have the new immigrant population coming that will be Mexicans or from Salvador, and they will be an identity issue. So when the Latino that is born here goes to, let's say, Mexico, they will tell that kid, you are not Mexican. <laughs> You're here in America. You <laughs> he will come here, and they will tell him, you are not American. Right. You're Mexican. Lack of identity. You know, that's, I think you're absolutely right. And, and yeah, and to cure that, sorry, let me mm-hmm. just to finish. You need to teach them. You need to have classes that they will care about it and show their it's identity. So they, will have, yeah. so they will have something to be attached to. They are not, right now they're in, in the middle. It's like, okay, I don't belong here and I don't belong over there. Where am I? And they're in the air. And that causes all kinds of. Uh, all kinds of problems specifically for youth, but one of the uh, one of the things is that you have such a diverse Latino community and there there isn't the unity that let's say you might have found among African Americans in the 50s and 60s. Central Americans and Mexicans don't always get along. Um, And part of it is there's a lot of Central Americans that have uh, that have bad experiences having traveled through Mexico. Uh, the people who are here, the Cubans who are here for 40 years, they kind of completely, they, they, they don't, they, yeah, we're Hispanic, but not that kind of Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And even within countries, uh, it's not uncommon for uh, many Mexicans to look down on indigenous. And so you you know there's just not this not this unity and there's a history even among Latino countries of just not getting along. Yeah. Um, I mean not just Mexicans and Central Americans, yeah. but different types Caribbean of South Americans. Yeah. <laughs> right. and, <laughs> and then you get um, you know these kids that have a lack of identity crisis. Mm-hmm. They don't know who they are. Their parents don't understand them. The teachers don't like them mm-hmm. in some cases. Yeah. And they're becoming fodder for ga- for gangs mm-hmm. because they're giving them a place, they're giving them an identity, they're giving them a sense of purpose, and that's you know you're getting these kids that are coming into that age where that's a really attractive alternative mm-hmm. because you don't fit anywhere, and you get people saying, "Hey, we know you, we understand you, you're mm-hmm. one of us." And they feel the same way. I agree with Father Shea. I think. You know, in my own personal experience, and Gustavo, you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm an immigrant. You know, my my family moved to the States when I was nine years old. But I was one of the privileged ones. You know, we came in 
the legal way. I don't know what it's like f f to walk through a desert mm -hmm. and to have to dodge, you know, bandits and coyotes and all kinds of criminals and then get to the border and then you get caught and you just, you're out, you know, $10,000 and mm -hmm. you're back. Um, if you make it alive. Mm -hmm. But, but for me, you know, and I see this in our children, um, that when you don't instill cultural pride and, and understanding of who you really are and how beautiful all of our cultures are and how similar we are. And I'm specifically talking about, uh, because let's get out in the open, there's, uh, there's a lot of tension between the Latino, not just amongst Latinos, but also the African-American communities, mm -hmm. especially in youth, mm -hmm. which is heartbreaking for me because on a personal level, my husband's African-American, mm -hmm. so my child happens to be biracial. Um, and my, I want my child, we instill in our, my, our child that he needs to be proud of both. We mm. have beautiful cultures, a lot of similarities, um, and I, I just don't understand, and it's something that, you know, we hope that not just Sacred Heart, but with other community partners we can address with our do, youth. Do you need more community partners in regards to Latino and African-American relations? Well, I, I just... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Roberto. Um, Someone, I, I wasn't I wasn't born in the states either, but I've been uh, in the states now for forty years, and I've actually been in Richmond since the onset, uh, beginning when there were hardly no Latinos here. So mm. I've actually seen the growth. Um, <clears throat> but I will agree, you know, research shows that <clears throat> teaching kids uh, cultural identity is very important for um, building self esteem and pride. Number one. Um, we do need to have a, a stronger network of, of Latinos working together on different causes. We need to re-educate uh, mm -hmm. the public, especially Latinos, because, you know, um, when we think about our, our cultures, the, the laws that exist, or the way things um, uh, are typically accepted in our own Latino American or Latino Caribbean Spanish countries, it, it's very different here. So. So again, it needs to be this constant education, this constant yes, education, uh, because again, it has a tremendous impact uh, on, on many levels. So educating parents on how the laws work, you know, how to get involved with the child's education, teach, teaching our young people how to better communicate effectively among the different groups. That's not going to be something that needs to be considered. And how to also learn to self-advocate for themselves, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, and I think mental health will get on the topic of mental health, this, had, this creates a big, mental health is a big umbrella. And the mental health, mm -hmm. uh, not only do you have aspects that impact, um, you know, they bring on depression, anxiety, suicide, but it also brings substance abuse matters here. Mm -hmm. uh, it also brings the aspects of other um, um, things that can be prevented, for, for example, joining a gang. So, you know, I'm hoping that a conversation like this could you know could could lead to the to some kind of new openness of having different groups working together, looking at kind of causes, and then sharing the type of re-education that needs to take place, mm -hmm. so that then when people come from that are immigrants or whoever comes into this country into this country or people even that move from different areas can understand how things work in this area. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be like a like like a. a uh, a way for people to kind of work together, te teach them, you know, this is how things operate here. This is how you need to navigate. So then people be them themselves become um, um, 
advocates for other individuals, et cetera. To right. Create some kind of movement that way. So. And, and, it's and I oh, excuse me. Go ahead. It's important to note that um, your experience with working with the Latino population is in Henrico County. Well, I mean, I mean, I've well, worked in the greater Richmond area. Mm -hmm. You know, right now I happen to just work for Henrico, mm -hmm. so with the Henrico population starting to grow in Henrico, you know, we're starting to see a lot of the issues that are taking place in Southside in in, in the areas mm -hmm. of Richmond. So, <clears throat> but again, you know, there are certain universal principles that exist among many cultures, um, and so again, I come from the from the from the from the table of prevention. You know, so what kind of environmental strategies do we need to put in place to kind of re-educate the masses, not just small populations, but the masses on how things need to be, how things work, the impact it has if it doesn't work, et cetera. So, so I'm looking at it from well, that angle. And I also wanted to add, I think one, that this is going to be difficult. Oh, yeah. um, and, and <laughs> I mean, to say the least, yeah. to say the least. And I've seen it. But it can be done. I've it seen can. it done in, in small communities. I happen to do a lot of work in South Central Los Angeles yeah. where racial tensions amongst young people, especially in the African American community and the Latino community, the were high. I mean, we're high. And, um, and we started working together through a community garden. It was something really simple that mm -hmm. was just a little plot. And, uh, but long story short, we had to really uh, you know, when your hands are working, your mind is going, you, your heart is open. But we really had to breach some real painful realities and, and conversations about our misconceptions about one another, what yep. we had brought that was given to us from our, our, our maybe our parents or our ancestors, uh, and vice media. versa. Right, exactly. And to be able to recognize there is hurt here, and this is why there's a division. And, but we also share a lot of the same challenges. So we can be stronger together. I think this, the thing that stands out to me is just listening is the similarities. Um, the first table we did was, was strictly with uh, was community activists in the African-American community. And one of the things that strikes me just listening around the table, uh, even though you know there's definitely some divisions of segregation, which is, which is strange because the the challenges are so similar. <laughs> so yeah. you're just wondering if there was uh, more olive branches that to, to be able Perhaps to work the together. the oppressor is kind of the same. I don't know. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> let, me, let me ask, uh, and I want to get Alex in here as well, um, and, and I, I want to ask, because we're coming up to a local election season, and it's obviously it's all the way across the board. Obviously there's someone at the top of the ticket running for president of the United States in November, but also mayor city council, all of those, school board, all of those seats are up. Um, Gustavo mentioned as well, um, just kind of, a, uh, you know, a sense of, and I don't know if it's, you know, we, we don't want to, we just want to be sensitive, but a sense of almost a blind eye to the community. These guys are running for your votes. Um, they're running to be responsive, uh, to make the community better. All of them, I, I knock on wood, are, I think are well-intentioned individuals. Um, what is it um, that, uh, you know, these guys running for elected office and running to be the next leaders of the community, what should they be paying attention to when they look at uh, the communities that are served here? Right. Well, I think something that Father Jack brought up earlier that's interesting in terms of political power is that 
the median age of the U.S. born Hispanic population is 15, right? And so when politicians are thinking about how they're going to get elected, it's not through the lens of the Latino community because they have no economic or political power, right? And so that takes some very serious advocates. And I think that also ties in a question about how do we unify the very diverse Latino community? Because we all came here in different ways and we have different statuses. And so, for example, my parents are Puerto Rican. Puerto Ricans are born U.S. citizens. What ties us together with the other communities is our language, probably the church. That's where we made all of our friends from other um, Latin American countries. And so thinking about how we leverage those who might have a little more say and making sure that they do have a stake in the election, they are writing letters, they are engaging in the community forums, um, submitting questions to the candidates during debates. So for, for example, most of the Latinos are here in the corridor going south, right, to Chesterfield. Okay, you can, you can look at what kind of services are available here and you can compare with the rest of the city and see who's gonna campaign here and what they are gonna offer. Is there enough grocery stores around? I live here on Woodland Heights. Yeah. There is not a grocery store within a radius of three or five miles. Yeah. I have a car. <coughs> I don't care, I can drive to wherever grocery store I want to <laughs> go on by there. But that's not the issue, yeah. right? So those are basic services that each city should have. I mean, how many buses run here south yeah. to, for the people that doesn't have transportation? I mean, those are services that the city, sometimes the, the way that the city is being grown, and the, city, the way that the city is designed looks like, okay, you have, you can work in the city, but you're gonna live outside the city in the county. So all the services are yeah. made, or the roads are determined, so you can drive out of the city and come back to work and go back and live outside the city. Reduce but that's system. also an issue though. The yes. cars, the driver license is a big well, issue when yes, it comes yes. to the That's Latinos why I said the buses. That's why I said the buses. Look and the, the buses. buses. There's no safe roads for none of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also goes back to the segregation question, right? Mm -hmm. City council officials, if they are thinking about these issues, and frankly they're not because the city of Richmond is extremely segregated, mm -hmm. um, they can create zoning ordinances or they can um, create incentives for developers for grocery stores. Um, they can ask GRTC to reroute some mm -hmm. of the routes to pass through important sections of the city that have been neglected because mm -hmm. people do need to get to their jobs. People do want to live in other school districts, for yes. example. Mm -hmm. You know, right now there's not school the choice of where to live. It's very, you're being relegated to certain sections of the city depending on your status or mm -hmm. your socioeconomic condition. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking um, recently, whether you're for or against, whatever, we can learn from the um, LGBT. Is there LGBT? a thing missing? There might be a Q missing right now. Okay, but good, good. Uh, 
the reason that they were able to affect change, and the same with same-sex marriage, again, whether, I feel like saying, forgive me, Father. <laughs> um, that's because their communities came out and had a voice. And you mentioned about um, those of us who have a voice, you know, can leverage that. And that is how we're going, you're going to get your grocery store. That is how we're going to affect change if we really take it from these very critical, in LMR, I think I told you our project team was um, courageous community conversations because we talked about things that you only talked about, you know, in right. questions, in tones, mm -hmm. and, you know, we really brought things out. But I keep noticing when I see, and I've gone to city council to support somebody. I live in Hanover. Um, and that, I, I'm not even going to take that on. <laughs> <laughs> but it shares the diversity <laughs> of the I'm region. I'm not even going to take that on. Yeah. But, you know, it's people living here in the city, Sacred Heart being right here, there are people, or those are, when, as long as we're educating and we're talking about policy and we're talking about inclusion, those are the leaders. Um, when you stand up at City Hall, or at these council meetings, or school board meetings. They don't know whether or not what your status is. The voice comes with, look, we are here, and this is our need. This is whatever it is. That's the only way things are going to change, if we are brave enough, courageous enough, to stand up and bear our warts and say, you know, this is a big issue, and we need you to pay attention. because. Mm -hmm. Till then, when they see, okay, we're here and we are voters, they don't really know if you're a voter or not. Um, I mean, and, and we're, I got a, a couple more questions, one or two, and then we, I know we got to wrap up for the sake of time. Um, one of the things that, was, that often uh, weighs on me and is, is brought up when I, when I have these conversations, and we've used the word a couple times around the room, is, is leverage, um, right? And one of the things, that has um, always brought up to me is um, cheats community activists often are the ones that are able to, to speak out because they don't, they don't have a lot of leverage. Um, and so one of the things that I've started to look into larger on a larger scale is the business community, um, is the community that, you know, uh, whether, well, well, even if it's, if you're looking at um, different uh, minority populations in Richmond, if there's a, a Latino or an African-American or an Asian-based paper, um, several of those folks have told me when we're looking at the media, well, if I was relying on my own community to, to sustain my paper, they wouldn't make it. So therefore, I've got to, you know, I've got to print stories that are, you know, that may not necessarily highlight some of the challenges that we're talking about around the room. Um, so I, I just want to ask in regards to, I, I know that there's always a need for more community partners. Um, in the business community or um, communities that may have a little bit more leverage to say, you know, um, there's going to be consequences if, uh, how, how are, is there a large um, kind of partnership between um, the Latino business community that would be able to help on some of the community issues? I think that's a good question. That's a good question for you, Father Jack, in the Leadership Institute when it comes to the driver's license issue, because that's going to create revenue for a lot of businesses, including the state of Virginia. Well, looking at it from <coughs> another angle, 
last year when uh, it was getting uh, time for uh, the uh, issue of the uh, driver's license coming up in the legislature. Uh, that was a topic that really reached to so many uh, Latinos, either because they were personally affected by it or somebody in their family was affected by it, like yeah. Mother Shea was saying. And so uh, the first step was that people, uh, started with some of the people in the leadership group, and uh, Cynthia was one of them, who started out just to get people to sign their names, saying that uh, they were in favor of, drive, uh, of uh, driving uh, licenses or some kind of uh, driving identification for everybody in, in Virginia. And people were asking for more page, pages to sign up. She got over uh, a couple, couple thousand uh, signatures, and, they, and a lot of the people were asking, well, give me some of these sheets so I can get more people. We were able to turn in to the legislature over 6,000 uh, uh, signatures for people who probably had never really done a political act like that of signing their name in, in favor of something. Uh, and then when the, when the, uh, um, when the, the proposal came up in the uh, Senate uh, Transportation Committee, we had over 100 folks there. And uh, they, were, they were folks who were from the grassroots. They were folks who you know, couldn't drive there legally, uh, but they were there anyways. And they had their, their babies there, they had the baby carriages and all that. That was, that was a moment here in Richmond on that specific issue that I saw, you know, the folks mm. um, rally and get emotionally involved in it. Father Jack, when you do those things, do you have, does it only go out to, does it go out only to the Sacred Heart community? No. no. Where does it, where does it go? Um, other... The Bacalao well, is one of them. We did it in conjunction with Bacalao from uh, other organizations. Uh, from also with uh, 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 Casa Virginia, yeah. uh, the new uh, the new um, Virginia majority. So I'm talking about specifically our communities because I know that you've mentioned it to me, but I didn't know anything about it in different groups that I've um, when we've sat and talked about different things. We haven't known about this because I asked them um, specifically because I wanted to know because certainly I would participate in something like that. So You're how talking do about we like grassroots distribution? Like grassroots how do you distribution, distribution because if it's like just yeah. if it's just yeah. groups and it doesn't go, it's like sending things to Father Shea and it doesn't go anywhere else. Do you know what I mean? And I think I think going back to what, what you were saying, Mark, is creating, you know, we and we have been talking about this, um, really having a voice. One of the things that we did back in, in California was we uh, talked to two local papers. One was a major, Orange County Register was one of them, and then they had Excelsior, which was the Spanish version of the Orange County Register. They needed opinion, you know, column writers. Mm -hmm. And we were not going to charge them, but that was a way to get our voice out there. So we had full control of whatever it is that we wanted to discuss. And then we had, you know, numbers where people could call and write into. That, I think, could be a very effective way is getting more a hold of that media and, and social media is so it's well, been so powerful. Went out over social media. Yeah, right? yeah, it did. Um, we well, we actually went door to door. Mm, wow. I was one, and I gave the number of Secret Heart, 
I gave copies, we went to stores, we went to swap me, oh, I mean, um, the Flea markets. Flea markets. <laughs> I still call them swamis. We talked to other people. We um, tagged people on Facebook, tagged people on Instagram. Um, we try to get the word out the most we can. Um, I actually was also maybe... Oscar was very good in, on the radio. Uh, on the radio, yeah. yes. Um, I was late at night, still knocking on doors and letting <laughs> people know, like, I know they were eating and everything, mm-hmm. having dinner, but that's the best time to let them know. A lot of people were scared. A lot of people were, it's not going to happen. Why are you doing this? You're just getting paid. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm doing this for our community. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there are two things that you said that I think really are, are very important. One is the... Um, it, we talk about the Latino community being diverse, but it's also divided. Mm. And, the, and I think that's something where, where there can be growth to around issues. And this was a big issue. And I remember that right after the, that they had the vote, at, uh, wherever it was done at the General Assembly, I mean, people came up to me and said, what happened? Did we get our licenses? But, they, but it was, I mean, everybody was talking about it. Uh, at the mm-hmm. grassroots level, everyone knew it was going on. Everybody was talking about it, but I think that's a barrier. That's that's a, that's a thing that has to be um, gone beyond. Is there's just a lot of distrust within the Latino community? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you're getting paid for this. Why should I be? Yeah, paid? that's the first thing. They're like, how much are you getting paid? I'll say, nothing. Why? But that was a, that's an I'm example. I'm just doing it for us, for the safety of our community. But that's an example of an issue that seemed yeah. to have galvanized yeah. the community yeah. at every yeah. level. Yeah. Right. And everybody seemed to work together with around this issue. And the, I guess the challenge is, you, you know, not you don't always have an issue, right? Like a single issue that's going to galvanize everybody. So the, the, the moving forward, and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll end on this, uh, Roberto, moving forward, like what are some of the things you would like to see in regards to... Yeah, as we've kind of touched on several complexities, but but if there was a couple things that you said you would like to see moving forward and in, in Richmond look a certain way in the next uh, couple of months to the next couple of years, what are some of the things that stand out? Well, I want to say kudos to you for going knocking on people's doors because I think I think you know for any type of campaign that we have, it is going to take more individuals such mm-hmm. as yourself to be able to go out there to use social media. To go out there and promote because it sounds like you know for you to get all those signatures for you to get the number of people to come out uh, measurable as a campaign it, mm-hmm. you, you did a great job so I think more movement like that mm-hmm. you know getting more people involved even if they're gonna be some people that are gonna be against it you know they're oh, gonna of be, course. They're or gonna, suspicious <coughs> or suspicious there's gonna still be a lot they're gonna be for it because even though they might be afraid they know that someone will speak for them and they will support it behind the scenes. So again, looking forward, continue working this capacity, sh- continue to share information, um, <clears throat> so that again it becomes a larger movement. And this issue is has not gone away. Right. And even though it was defeated in the Senate Transportation, it was tabled in the House of Delegates, mm-hmm. so that there is presently bring it back. A, uh, there's a committee that meets monthly uh, at the uh, DMV. Uh, uh, preparing what this would this legislature would, legislation would look like 
uh, who would qualify, what would be the requirements and all that. So it, it's all being prepared because it's going to appear again it's coming back. in the next session. So yes. DMV so even supports it. Yeah. The yeah, police yeah, department yeah, also. The police. So I'm going to say this. I'm going to end on a positive note. I'm going to give word Sacred Heart Center, so I'll give Father Shea the last word here. We talked a lot about challenges and things that we'd like to see that um, that we'd like to see moving forward. Tell me really quickly, um, or, or just tell me in your own words, what gets you excited about working uh, with this, with just such an amazing, dynamic community? Oh, the privilege of getting up every morning and working with it, and working with truly amazing people. I mean, I know well probably about half the people around this table, and. I mean, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what makes me stay awake at night because I can work with this amazing group of people and tap this. Re There's an energy in the Latino community in Richmond. And I think that would be, it would be so great if people knew that. And that energy wants to release itself in all kinds of ways. Uh, and I think it can only, if tapped, really be for the building of a better, more diverse, more inclusive, a richer Richmond. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it, my privilege of working in the Latino community is just seeing amazing people doing amazing things, uh, a lot of times with nothing. And uh, Ian, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I'm. Well, a guy told me once about when he first got here, he said, yeah, there were 17 of us living in a room. We had to take turns to take showers. And I mean, in, maybe in an apartment. 17 of us in an apartment. We had, were all kind of from the same part of Mexico. And we had to take turns taking showers. And it was like an hour. It was hours be, mm -hmm. because, you know. And those 17 people now, a number of them are business owners. Uh, a number of them are really uh, major forces, uh, not only in the Latino community, but well-respected in their trades, even in the wider Richmond community. And I'm just thinking to myself, here are a group of people 25 years ago that lived not much better than animals, but they had a dream, and now they're changing Richmond. And if, you know, if people saw that and if that energy could be tapped even by the Latino community because as it grows and gets more complex there's how much are you being paid for what you do <laughs> uh, but you know there, there is this beautiful energy there so that's what I can say and we'll have to leave it at that I want to thank everyone for participating we want to give a special thanks to the Sacred Heart Center for their hospitality we encourage you to keep the conversation going. This is The Table. I'm Cheats. Until next time, we see it.